Now, with the latest from the world of technology, this is the Tech Guide Podcast with Stephen Fennick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading once again. Tech Guide. Well, without a doubt, the biggest tech story of the week. Tech Guide. It's a very competitive market, the smartphone market. Keeping you updated and educated. This is a device that combines a tablet, a laptop, and a sketch pad. This is the Tech Guide Podcast. This is the future. Wireless earphones. Tech Guide. What you see is what you get. Quality is obvious. Now, from the studios of techguide.com.au, Stephen Fennick. Tech Guide, episode 313. Hello and welcome to the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. Thank you for listening once again. We love our loyal listeners. Thank you for downloading. And first-time listeners, we're, we're glad you found the podcast. We hope you become regular listeners. My name is Stephen Fennick, and I'm the editor of that great website, techguide.com.au. On this week's show, I've got a lot to talk about, including Foxtel going 4K with their new IQ4 set-top box. Just how much information are your apps accessing and why smartphones have become conversation killers in my Tech Guide reviews, we're going to check out Google Home Max Speaker, the new Dragon Anytime Dictation app for Android and iOS devices, and the new drives that can handle your data on the go. And we'll wrap it all up at the end with the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, Australia's number one brand of home Wi-Fi products, and also Norton, the company to help keep you and your family safe online. We've got a massive show for you, so let's get started. First up, we're talking Foxtel and 4K. This is a big story. Uh, they announced last week that they are going to launch a dedicated 4K channel. And to do that, they're going to also have a new IQ4 set-top box. Uh, this was received. A variety of reactions I've had to this story, I've got to say. Uh, a lot of people... Uh, uh, welcome the news. A lot of people have not the nicest things to say about Foxtel, funny enough. Uh, 4K is going to be uh, there. They're going to have a dedicated channel. It's going to be channel 444 uh, in October uh, when the channel launches. So you can expect to see on that single solitary channel uh, documentaries, live sport, concerts. Live sport will include the cricket, which will kick off in November. The Australia v South Africa One Day International kicks off early November just after the 4K channel. And now that Fox still have the rights to the cricket, of course, they're going to be showcasing that in 4K. Also, for you rugby league fans, and I'm one of them, Foxtel says it will also have 2019, in the 2019 season, NRL matches as well broadcast in 4K. I actually saw at the launch they had some 4K footage shot at a recent match between the Cronulla Sharks and the Penrith Panthers. They shot it in 4K and it looked absolutely brilliant. So look forward to seeing 4K coverage next year. But cricket fans, get ready. This summer you're going to get 4K as well. So how is this going to work? 4K is supplied through Foxtel to the IQ4 set-top box. And you will need a satellite to access it. 
the uh, they're going to have a guaranteed 4K satellite signal. Now, before I hear all the moans and groans, I've got to get a dish on my roof and all of this, it's part of the install if you're a new customer. If you're a current or a past customer, I was a Foxtel customer and I was a satellite customer. And I've still got the dish on my roof, so it's pretty easy return path for me and anyone else who may be in that situation. But the reason it's going to be done via satellite is because they don't want they want they want people to act be able to access this from anywhere, no matter where you live, no matter what sort of internet connection you've got, it won't matter because it's a 4K satellite signal. So they're going to have enough bandwidth to supply 4K constantly. As it stands, of course, there's 4K you can access other ways. Streaming, for example, using your home broadband connection. Netflix is already doing it. So Stan. Uh, so what that requires is a decent download speed so that you can watch the signal. Uh, you can you have enough bandwidth for that signal for it to be uh, 4K quality. The way that works, the, the bit rate you're getting over your broadband connection, unless you've got a super fast broadband connection, uh, it, it's going to be kind of a dumbed-down 4K signal. But the more, the higher the bit rate, which is what satellite will allow, the better quality and reliability you're going to get with your 4K. So, it, it, and, and regardless of what, what sort of internet connection you've got, regardless of where you live, this will be able to uh, supply that signal. And, and there's also headroom built into this as well, which means that down the track, there's going to be more than one 4K channel. This initial channel, channel 444, will will be the lot like when they introduced HD a few years ago. There was one HD channel. Now there's multiple HD channels. Same deal with Foxtel. Down the track, you'll see a dedicated Foxtel 4K sport channel. You'll see a 4K movie channel, a doco channel, a, a concert channel. So this is just the, the start of it. Now, the IQ4 is the other part of the uh, recipe you need here. That's the other ingredient that you need. And it will then be allowed, uh, able you to get that 4K signal. And of course, you'll also need to have a 4K TV, which is pretty common. Anyone going out to buy a TV nowadays, this year, even last year, uh, the the choice was basically 4K. You can't not buy a 4K TV now, and there are millions already in the market. So that's another piece of the puzzle that you need there. So if you are looking at getting Foxtel 4K, also known as Ultra HD, you need the 4K, you need a 4K IQ4. You also need satellite dish to get the signal, and you need a 4K TV. Once you've got all those, then you're good to go and be able to enjoy all that content. We did see at the launch, a preview of what they had on offer. And uh, the, I've got to say, it looks incredible. The, the concert concert footage looked brilliant in 4K. Documentaries, they always really pop in 4K as well. Really beautifully shot documentaries always look great. And, of course, 4K movies. Now, the sort of bandwidth you're going to get from a satellite, a dedicated satellite signal, is pretty decent. You're going to get, I think, about 25 megabits per second. Uh, and that, that's that's a really good, that, that's good bit rate for you to, to get a good 4K signal, which is a lot better than what you'd get streaming over your internet. It's almost equivalent to watching a 4K disc. 
the bit rate you get off a disc is, is up there with the, the sort of bandwidth that the satellite signal is going to offer. So that's really good news, especially if you're a movie fan. So you, you can potentially get your Foxtel service and not have to buy 4K discs because you're going to get almost the same quality through the satellite signal. You can't say the same thing with Netflix. Netflix 4K and Netflix on a disc, I can tell the difference. That Netflix 4K is good, but 4K on a, on a disc is way better. And, you know, I've, I've invested in a lot of equipment and projectors and screens, and I want the best possible result, and disc is the best way. Foxtel via satellite is going to be a better quality 4K than Netflix. Uh, that was a, that was a common question at the at the launch. Well, for, you're a bit late to the party. Foxtel uh, Foxtel are introducing 4K this year. We've already seen it with Netflix and Stan. What's the difference? The difference, as I've probably already described, is one word: sport. That's going to be the big advantage here for customers to viewers to be able to enjoy their favourite sports in 4K and a lot of other live events. It's not just going to be sport, live events. Uh, that sort of content that that can be offered in 4K is going to be compelling. The uh, I haven't seen the I've only just had a brief glance at the IQ4. I haven't reviewed it. I haven't got it back uh, in my home just yet. But uh, it will in- introduce a few new features, I understand, as well. Make it easier to view in other parts of your home. Uh, it will also have uh, uh, it'll be IP based, so that means it can update it with software. So any any time any new features can be rolled out just simply with a software update, which we're looking forward to as well. 4K from Foxtel. Are you are you for it? Will you get it? Are you against it? Let us know on Twitter. Jump on Twitter. I'm at Stephen Fennick. Would love to hear your your thoughts on this. But in the meantime, if you want to hear more about it, read more about it, you can see the IQ4 box and you can see exactly what Foxtel is offering with this new 4K service and what lies in store even for streaming customers on Foxtel now. Down the track, I understand that that is also going to turn 4K, uh, have 4K content, but obviously not to the same quality as having the dedicated satellite signal that you will with the IQ4. You want to read more about that story? You know where to find it, techguide.com.au. Tech Guide, keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Now, we all love our apps. We use apps every day. You're probably using an app right now to hear this podcast. Uh, but one thing that we don't do, that we don't know, is just how much information is being accessed by these apps. Whether they are compromising our privacy. Uh, internet security company Symantec, which is the parent company of one of our sponsors, Norton, uh, they're one of the top internet security companies. They've just released some new research that shines some light on just how much information our apps are actually collecting about us, and. The funny thing is, though, is that we allow it. How do we allow it? Is because when we download an app, we don't read everything that there is to see. We just hit accept the next just so we can get the app happening. So instead of actually reading what information the app wants to access, we're clicking impatiently to try get the app installed faster. And we don't know just how much privacy, our privacy is being compromised. Here's a great example of the sort of data an app can access without us really paying attention to it. Great example, the Android Flashlight app. Many of you listening may have that on your phone, on your Android device. Well, did you know that this app, which has been very popular, it's been downloaded 10 million times, did you know that one of the app's requests 
was to access a user's calls and messages and also access their camera for a flashlight. They're the sort of things we're dealing with. Symantec took a look at the top 100 apps on the Google Play Store and the App Store. This isn't just an Android thing. On the App Store as well. And personal identifiable information, otherwise known as PII, is shared with apps uh, that, that's shared with apps. This sort of information includes things like your phone number, your email address, username, your your home address, your physical address. So there are apps, and this study showed that phone number is 9% of the top 100 apps requested that, 12% of the top iOS apps. Email address was requested by 44% of those apps, 48% on, on the App Store, that's iOS. Requesting your username, that's 30% of Android apps did that, iOS 33%. Your address, 5%. And iOS, 4% requested out of the top 100 apps on the Play Store and the App Store requested your address as well. There's also a little thing called risky permissions. Permission is where the app requests data or resources, including your private information. That This could affect your stored data on your device or other apps. This is an issue that was uncovered in this study as well. And these risky permissions include tracking your location. 45% of these top apps on Android did that, only 25 on iOS. Accessing your camera. 46% of Android apps did that, only 25% of iOS apps. Recording audio. 23.5% of Android apps did that, only 9% of Android. Reading your call log, another risky permission. 10% of Android apps did that, 10% of the top 100 apps. Not available on iOS. None of the iOS apps could do that. Or read your SMS messages. 15% of those top 100 apps allowed that, and that is impossible to do that on iOS. So that's a protection there for iPhone users. So what do we do? How do we protect ourselves? What should we do? Symantec came up with uh, some great tips, which we've listed in our story. We're just going to go through some of them now. Uh, before you install an app, you should ask yourself a few questions. Do I know what information and permissions the app is taking, is asking for? Am I comfortable sharing personal information with this app developer? And does the app really need the device permissions it's requesting? Android flashlight needs to access your camera, really? They're the sort of questions you've got to ask. So to avoid granting excessive permissions if you've already installed the app, you can go into your settings, remove those unnecessary permissions in the settings. In iOS apps, you can remove unnecessary permissions by going to the settings menu and then clicking on privacy. So there's an added layer of control there. How to protect your personal information? Well, you've got to read the privacy policy on each social networking site and app that you use. That's the best way of doing it. You just really need to do a bit of a stock take on what you're doing to see how much information is being accessed. How do you check what apps are using data from your Facebook account? Really easy. Actually, go into your settings, go into apps and websites in the menu on the left, and then you can discover exactly what apps are actively using, what sort of data they're checking out. Really, really worthwhile. You can also check what apps uh, what apps are using data from your Google account for you Android users. You can review and edit that what thirty party what third party apps have access to through your Google account. Well worth doing this if you're worried about how much information your apps are sharing. These are the steps that can help you. If you want to 
read more, learn more, and see all of those tips and tricks and, and look at our, uh, there's a really pretty cool infographic about those apps and what they're exactly accessing. You know where to head to, techguide.com.au. There's a real irony we discovered today uh, writing one of our stories about our smartphone behavior. And remember that word, smartphone. It's a phone in our pocket. But here's the irony. Not many of us are using the phone part anymore. We're not calling people. Australians are avoiding calls. This is according to Finder, who uh, have just run a new survey of 2,011 respondents and showed that 56% would prefer to type rather than talk a text or a message, a message sent via an app instead of a phone call. That's the equivalent of 10.7 million Australians avoiding phone calls. We don't want to talk. Conversation dead. If you're a smartphone user, you might be different. I don't know. Gen Y, let's talk about them. Two-thirds, that's 62%, would prefer text messaging or messaging apps to connect, contact friends and family, not a phone call. Of this group, one-third preferred SMS, 29% preferred to send their messages via an app. We're talking WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. That leaves only 27% of Gen Ys actually picking up the phone. And only one in ten said email was their go-to way of communicating. And it's not surprising to hear, though, that baby boomers, so the older users, make the most calls. 68% pick up the phone, compared to just 10% who send a text messages. They're talkers, the baby boomers. They're not texters. They're not using LOL and, and all these emojis. They're talking to people. Gen X, 43% prefer to call. 28% go for the text, 29% use a messaging app, 11% send an email. But here's where it gets even worse. We unfortunately use text messages instead of picking up the phone. And this is uh, pretty disgraceful, actually, when I don't know if any of you have ever been um, sacked or been had a relationship ended uh, via text message. It's not uncommon, unfortunately. Some suggestions on the things that should happen, conversations that should happen uh, that should take place with a call, not a text. When you're breaking bad news to people, sorry, your uncle died, you should call that person. If, you, if you've got some news, some bad news to share, it's a bit cold and distant to send a text message, so probably best handled by talking to that person rather than just sort of sending words on their screen. Talk to them. Breaking up, we've mentioned already, unfortunately, this is pretty commonplace. Breaking up over text message is sadly very common. Um, and you've got to remember, the generation who's used to not picking up a phone, this is probably their go-to method here. Uh, but you know what? I reckon, and I hope you agree with me, that no matter how long you've been in a relationship, I think if you're going to end it, then do it face-to-face. Man up or woman up. <laughs> you don't do it over the text message. Get a, pick up the phone rather than rather than doing sending a text message. That's not the way to do it. Continuing a fight. Who I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. If you're having an argument on on SMS, uh, 
that is is just loaded with danger because you can't read tone. You can't interpret expression just with text. You need to use your voice, express yourself with your voice because you can make things worse because you can't interpret that tone. I think uh, something that your voice always delivers is tone and pick up the phone and not don't continue the fight, end the fight, res- resolve the fight. Work conversations also too. Uh, I think we we do. If you're living your professional life, you're working. It should be handled professionally. So if you've got some important work conversations or issues, mistakes, decisions you need to make, whether you're letting someone go or whatever the happened the case may be, then either organise a face to face meeting in the office or pick up the phone. Handle it over the phone. Come on, we've uh, we're carrying these phones around us. And they can make phone calls. It's right there in your pocket, literally in your pocket. You can make a phone call. So let's do it. Some interesting stats there from Finder. If you want to read more about them, though, read more. No one will text it to you. You need to actually go there and read it. Or call me and I'll read it out to you. You want to read that story, you can check it out at at Tech Guide. I was going to say Finder. It is Finder Finder information, but we've written the story up at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton. That's the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Well, you probably have antivirus on your computers and tablets. Please tell me you do. But did you know that your router could be letting hackers into your home? The router is the heart of the connected home, but can also provide an entry point for hackers to attack anything connected to your network. It can infect your devices, steal your information, and even spy on your home. And unfortunately, just password protecting your router won't block these threats. Introducing Norton Core, a smart and more secure Wi-Fi router that delivers speed and security all in one. Norton Core delivers next-gen Wi-Fi speeds to every corner of your home while helping to protect all your connected devices. Things like computers, phones, smart TVs, baby monitors, gaming consoles, smart speakers, and much more. From digital threats by helping to block them at the network level. With built-in parental controls, Norton Core also lets you set screen time limits by device or user, set content filters, and even pause the internet across your home, all from an easy-to-use smartphone app. Norton Core, the smart, more secure Wi-Fi router, is available now at your local Harvey Norman store. Tech Guide. Now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennett. Tech Guide. We love a speaker. And we love even better a big speaker. And that's exactly what you get with Google Home Max. It was uh, announced a few weeks ago. Went on sale last week. The Google Home Max is here. It's 549 bucks. It ain't a cheap speaker, but you do get a lot for your money, including really good audio quality and the smarts to go with it, not only for the Google Assistant smarts, but also the audio smarts, because there is a feature on board called Smart Sound. And what that involves is that the speaker 
can sort of ping the area where it's sitting in your room. It might be against a wall, on a shelf, in a corner. It can tell where it is and then optimize the audio quality. It's a feature that the HomePod actually does. Apple's HomePod does that as well. It can it can optimize the audio quality no matter where it is. And the beauty of the, the beauty of the Google Home Max is that even when you pick it up and move it, it'll recalibrate and recalculate in an instant and then and then optimize itself for that part of the room as well. So it doesn't matter if you move it, it's going to always know where it is. It's going to always optimize that that audio quality. Now the Google Home Max it's a beast. It's 33.7 centimetres wide, 19 centimetres tall, 15.4 centimetres long. So it's a solid footprint in your home. So for some customers, that large footprint, that might be a deal breaker if you don't have enough room. Uh, the good thing, though, with this speaker is you can sit it on its side, which is sort of horizontally, I call it. So that's the widest part. So the 33.7 centimetre portion of the speaker is flat. Or you can turn it on its side so that the 15.4 centimetre portion is on its side. So that, that's a smaller footprint. It's just going to be taller. So you might not be able to fit it on a bookshelf, for example. But the good thing about the speaker is it looks, there's no logo on the front. It looks pretty plain, can blend into the background, merge with your home decor. It's not going to be look out of place. But on the audio side, uh, this is a really nice sounding speaker. Plenty of speakers under the hood there. There's two 4.5 high excursion dual voice call woofers on board and two custom tweeters. Uh, all housed as a rigid chassis around the speaker. That's so that it can contain the audio and get rid of any vibration. So there's no distortion when you're listening to your music, even at really high volumes, which we tried at our place. And it was, uh, it, it sounded really good, even, even at its highest volume. So nice, rich sound and really nice bass level as well. Um, bass. I think uh, slightly more bass, I reckon, than the HomePod. So, but but not too much as to discourage uh, and, and to, for older users not to like it. So it's kind of a, a it's a, a speaker for the whole family. No matter what sort of music you like to listen to, the Google Home Max will put a smile on your face. It actually sounds pretty good. Uh, and we mentioned that smart sound as well. So it is always it's always got you back there trying to provide the very latest, the very best quality for your for your room now the uh the device is also of course connected by wi-fi through the google home app takes just minutes to set up there's also bluetooth on board as well uh you've got google assistant so that you can talk to the speaker ask for it to play songs ask what your day is like uh all those sorts of things if you are linking a music service it'll work with youtube music spotify google play music tune in and deezer so you can actually ask for content from those services now if you're an apple music user you can still hear your apple music through the speaker you just need to use you need to use bluetooth and link pair it to the speaker and then can use your iphone to control it or whatever phone you're using use the phone to control your music you can't use your voice and ask through that service if you want to use your voice to control apple music you need to buy an apple homepod that's uh that's the difference there uh it's got a built-in far field microphone as well so it can hear you across the room even when it's blaringly loud music uh that was a, a cool little feature where you can whisper uh hey and, and then it'll it'll hear you and then turn the music down so you can tell it what you want 
Uh, you can also link your smart devices to this as well. So your smart lights, security cameras, Nest cameras, Philips Hue lights, Ring doorbell works with it as well. So it becomes a smart hub as well. You can also link it to your Netflix and Stan account. So you can say, hey, I want to pick it up from where I left off when I'm watching this show on Netflix or this show on Stan. And you can nominate the TV and it'll start playing there. Uh, it, the other Google Home speakers could do the same thing. The difference with Google Home Max is it's a bigger, much better speaker. Google Home, great introductory product. Real, massive, huge novelty, the whole thing where you can talk to a speaker and it does things for you. But to be quite frank, the audio quality wasn't that good. But Google Home Max does something about that. It is smart. It sounds good. Uh, so it's tick, ticking all the boxes. Another box it ticks is it has an auxiliary import. This is something that the, the Apple's HomePod does not have. So if you're looking at a comparison here, that is a point of difference where the Google uh, Google Home Max has that auxiliary in port, which means you can connect other audio sources physically, like a turntable or an older device. You can plug it in through the auxiliary in uh, and hear it through the speaker. You can also, of course, create a stereo pair if you want to pony up and buy a second speaker. They're 549 per head, so that's $1,100 for the pair. Uh, you can do that as well. So you can create a stereo, left and right stereo pair, and use the auxiliary in however you want to do it. Uh, you can create that uh, that stereo pair. You can do the same thing with HomePod. Apple's HomePod, by the way, is cheaper. 499 bucks. It's a lot smaller, though, as well. We've got a picture side-by-side. Side. The Google Home Max is more than twice the size of Apple's HomePod. But funny enough, the Google Home Max isn't much louder than the Apple HomePod. The HomePod really pumps out a lot of sound from a, a, a device that's less than half the size of Google Home Max. Google Home Max is available in two colors, chalk, which is white, charcoal, which is black. Uh, so you can choose that, whatever fits into your decor the best. Google Home Max, available now, priced at $549. Uh, really great sound, solid, high-quality audio. Well worth reading our review before you head out and buy it and hear it for yourself. But in the meantime, if you do want to check out our review, it's at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Now, we do really like the our Dragon dictation uh, on our desktop. On my MacBook Pro, I have Dragon installed, and 90% of the stories you read on Tech Guide were dictated by myself using Dragon. It's a really accurate application that can... So whatever you're saying, it puts it down uh, with you using a Word document or an email, however, whatever input you are in, whatever document you're working on, you can use your voice and it says, it writes what you say. And I'm a much better talker than I am a typer, so less typos to go back and correct. But now that same technology has been introduced for the mobile world and it is the Dragon Anytime app that is available for iOS and Android, and naturally, this new mobile dictation solution, well, we had to try it. Now, the difference here with the mobile version is it is powered by the cloud. Uh, with Dragon, that is, you can just dictate without a connection to the internet. With this Dragon anywhere, you do need to have a cloud connection, so a connection to the internet. Uh, and and the, the convenience it allows, it brings that same hyper-accurate dictation 
to your mobile device. How we tested it, I had it on my iPhone and I connected my AirPods and just sat sat down in a corner of the room and dictated a story. And it was actually the review that, that is on, the, on Tech Guide of Dragon Anywhere was written via the app on my iPhone, which I then, because it links across all my Dragon accounts and the cloud, I could then access that and then and and or, or I could even email it to myself as a word document, and I was able to publish it right there and then there's some actual screenshots of the story half written if you want to check it out as well but uh the beauty of this is that it brings all of those smarts and all that accuracy and gets better at the more you use it you any dragon user who uses the dictation software they know that it can get to know you and become much better over time. You can even nominate words. I use this to, to nominate various brand names. Uh, so it, it is good to be able to store those. So when or whatever I say Canon, for example, it knows I'm talking about the camera brand and not the thing that fires cannonballs. Things like that where you can you can make it say every time you say this, I mean this. So if you are you know a lawyer or a safety officer, whatever, there's certain terms you need for it to remember and, and, and write uh, to to put down as you say it, you can adjust that as well. Funny enough, though, here's the funny thing about this. It did stumble on some words, and the name of the app itself it stumbled on. When I said Dragon Anywhere, it kept writing Dragon Anyway, and I had to actually go in and physically change it. Well, I had to manually change it. There is a, there is a keyboard in the app as well if you want to go in and change it, uh, if you want to do it manually, make your changes manually. But yeah, there is also, you can, there's a nice little tutorial in, in the app that allows you to, uh, it teaches you how to, uh, to edit on the go as well, just using your voice, like selecting words, changing words, inserting things. Uh, it can all be done with your voice. And I was sitting there with my AirPods, so it heard me really well through the AirPods. I was able to write, in inverted commas, that story. I actually dictated that story. And uh, and what you see on Tech Guide was actually dictated through the Dragon Anywhere app. So it's really handy. You think about it, in the past, if I was out uh, on the go, I'd have to sit down and write a story on the laptop. Now that I've got, the, I've, I've got Dragon on my phone, if I'm between meetings, I can quickly dictate a story and, and publish it rather than having to get out the laptop, you know, type as accurately as I can. Uh, it takes a lot more time. I find that my productivity increases. My I can get more done when I'm talking rather than typing because half the time when I'm typing is me correcting my mistakes. I'm not the best typer in the world. I'm a bit of a crow pecker, two-finger typist, but talking, I can talk a lot faster, uh, Words more words per minute talking than, than for me typing. Dragon Anywhere is a subscription service. It is $22 per month. Or build once a year for twenty two hundred twenty bucks. So that saves you about seventeen percent if you want to commit for the year. Uh, but at that price, look, it's not cheap. I know that. But if you are a professional, if you use this all the time, it can really increase your productivity, make your job a lot easier. Especially for people like lawyers and and people who are out in the field, public safety officers, people like that, journalists like myself. I, I think worth worth every penny. Might not be for everyone but it certainly can help you get a lot of work done in a shorter space of time thanks to the accuracy of its dictation. Dragon Anywhere, worth checking out. Our review is at techguide.com.au. 
Okay, you know, data, the data we create, our files, our videos, photos, documents, data is a really important resource. We do create a lot of data. We, if whether you're a drone pilot like myself or a photographer, a videographer, a programmer, graphic artist, we all make stuff. And this content, this data has to be stored. It has to be stored carefully. It has to be stored conveniently. And Seagate has come up with two new products to help people save their data, write their data, move their data in the field. Now, Seagate has come up with two new products. Seagate is actually the company that now owns LACIE, which is L-A-C-I-E. LACIE, I think that's how you pronounce it. Their, their drive is called the DJI Copilot. reason it's called DJI Copilot is because it's handy for drone pilots. So they can take the memory card out of their drone, put it straight into the drive, and then upload all their content, view that content when they can, can connect a smartphone or a tablet and even edit it, delete the files they don't want. So it is really easy to use in the field. Same deal if you're a photographer, um, you know, even without a drone. If you're a photographer in the field, videographer, uh, shooting, shooting things, taking pictures, you can use the DJI Copilot to transfer all your work. Uh, and it'll even tell you with its own little screen how much space is left on the drive. It'll tell you when the transfer is complete. And then you can also connect your phone or tablet using a uh, via the USB port, launch the companion app, and then play back any video, rename files, delete the ones you don't want. So you can do this in the back of a cab rather than having to wait to get back to your office to do it. It just ha- helps uh, speed up your workflow. Uh, but it is uh, has its own rechargeable battery. It's got a rugged construction as well, so uh, naturally if you're using it in the field, it can handle. you need it to handle drops and dust and the odd splash of water. Uh, the unit uh, can certainly do that. It can also, because it's got its own internal rechargeable battery, so you've got to charge the battery on board for it to operate wirelessly in the field, but there's often enough juice left over for you to even charge your phone off the drive as well. That's not the only drive that Seagate's announced. They've also announced the Seagate Fast SSD. This is a small, solid-state drive. What's good about this is that it's small, it's slick, and it's fast. That's why it's called Fast SSD. And by fast, I'm talking when you connect it, the SSD can have read speeds of up to 540 megabytes per second. That's fast. Or write speeds of up to 500 megabytes per second. Not megabits, megabytes per second. That's quick. So that's per second read-write speed. That's why SSD is so good. Also why it's so expensive because it's fast and it's reliable. So uh, not like a spinning, like a normal hard drive has this spinning platter. If you drop that, if it's a portable drive, you drop it, you could ruin it and lose all your data. SSD, no moving parts. That's why it's so fast and easy to access. Works right out of the box with PCs, Macs, connects via USB-C, which is kind of the uh, the, the way that USB-C is moving, although it does include a Type-C to Type-A USB cable as well, so you're not going to be left out. It is a sleek-looking device as well, I've got to say, really sleek design, designed to go anywhere, can handle the day-to-day bumps and scrapes, so you're not going to be losing any data. Pricing-wise, uh, the DJI Copilot, by the way, is $549, and that's got a 2-terabyte capacity. That was the first drive we spoke about a moment ago. The Seagate Fast SSD, that's 189 bucks for the 250 gig, 269 bucks for the 500 gig, 569 dollars for the one terabyte. And for anyone who moves around a lot of data, needs to carry around a lot of data, they will welcome this product. It is pretty handy. 
If you want to take a look at those, those products, you can read our story at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finney. Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Well, they've introduced Orbi, the world's first tri-band Wi-Fi system. This mesh system, Orbi gives you reliable, secure, and super-fast Wi-Fi to every inch of your home. That's right, everywhere. A common complaint is that there are dead zones. Well, with Orbi, there are no more dead zones, none upstairs, no drop connections through walls, just better Wi-Fi across the board. Orbi reaches up to 370 square metres through Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi barriers like walls, stairs, and doors. It's got a dedicated internet connection, so it helps prevent buffering while you're streaming your favorite movies and shows. No matter how many devices are connected, you have ultra-fast Wi-Fi speeds. The Orbi tri-band Wi-Fi system works with your existing modem to maximize the speed you're paying for. Orbi's sleek design and state-of-the-art technology steals the show. It gives your home a superior Wi-Fi network that's both easy to set up and elegant to display. With just a couple of clicks, your secure Wi-Fi network will be ready in no time. For more information, visit netgear.com.au. Orbi, better Wi-Fi everywhere. Tech Guide. Now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk, we've actually got a voice bite from uh, from Michael. We're going to play it in a moment. It's about Foxtel, uh, Foxtel 4K. We mentioned earlier in the show that Foxtel is launching 4K, and our, our reader, our listener, Michael, had this question to say about it. Hi, I was wondering if you've got IQ3 and you go to IQ4 and you haven't got a 4K TV, is it worth it to go to the new box, to the IQ4 box? Great question from Michael, uh, delivered through VoiceBite. You can everyone can do that. Uh, his question was uh, around the fact: Well, is it worth getting IQ4 if you don't have a 4K TV? Well, the answer is yes and no. If you're getting a four, if you're going to get an IQ4, then it's naturally going to evolve into a more of a 4K product. So my suggestion would be get a 4K TV if you don't already have one. If you if you are putting off getting a 4K TV, then stick to IQ3 because it's HD. You probably already got a HD TV. Uh, if you're going to go the IQ4, the majority of the content's still going to be HD. There's only going to be one channel, remember, for 4K, so, but you won't be able to enjoy that channel in its full quality without the 4K TV. So don't think that a 4 the IQ4 is going to make your 4K content suddenly appear on your existing TV. You need to have the 4K TV with enough pixels in that TV uh, to display that resolution. So if you are getting your if you you are thinking of getting IQ4 Best to maybe get a 4K TV as well if you don't already have one. As I mentioned earlier in the show, 4K TV sales—it's kind of what you what you buy now. You don't, you can't not buy a 4K TV, or otherwise known as Ultra HD. But uh, if you don't have a 4K TV and you have no plans on getting a 4K TV in the near future, I'd stick to the IQ3. You're only missing out on one channel that's in 4K. When you do get the 4K TV, then think about upgrading to the Optus, Optus, the Foxtel 4K IQ4. Another question about traveling. I do get these a lot. A lot of people travel and they want to have their phone, of course, and be able to use data. And I had a couple of questions around this. One was uh, from a gentleman traveling with his daughters. 
to uh, the US, I think he said, and how they what what's the situation? He said that his daughters always have to be on their phones and using data. My suggestion would be to buy SIM cards when you get there, and that way you can all communicate with each other, so you can call each other, uh, and uh, that's all done at the local local cost because it, you've got local SIM cards. If you were to use your Australian SIM cards, you'd be using they'd be long, they'd be very expensive calls. Not to mention how much money you'd spend on data. So uh, if you have a local SIM, you've got a local number, so you can all call each other and use as much data as as is allowed on that plan. Best thing to do. The other question I had was uh, uh, the couple who were going on a road trip in the uh, in the UK, and they want to still be able to access their their look on the internet using their Mac, their MacBook Pro. And I suggested, well, a lot of places along their way would have Wi-Fi, the hotels where they're staying or wherever they happen to maybe go to restaurants and things like that. They've got Wi-Fi. Uh, the other idea for that couple would be to buy a local SIM with a lot of data on it and use the phone or the tablet that happens to have that SIM card as a Wi-Fi hotspot for their laptop. That's another way around that as well. We all need our data on the move, and when we're traveling, that's the way to do it. Uh, the, the first person who was traveling with his daughters is also a Telstra customer, and I also suggested that if he does need to be contactable on that number, that he should keep that number, but also look at a roaming pack where you can get a certain number of calls, so you can receive calls, you get a certain number, amount of data uh, to use overseas as well. Uh, if you're a Vodafone customer, of course, you get $5 a day. I'm a Vodafone customer. I do travel a fair bit. For $5 a day, I can use my phone in more than 55 countries and can receive calls, use my data that's already included in my plan. No muss, no fuss, really easy. Uh, that's the, one of the main reasons why I'm a Vodafone customer because it really helps me when I travel. But this other gentleman who's a Telstra customer may need to pay up for a roaming pack if he does want to keep uh, be contactable on his his Telstra number. We've written about them on Tech Guide and uh, plenty of times talked about it here on the show. Uh, we hope that helps. And if you do want to send us a help desk question, we prefer voice bites. You heard Michael earlier asking his question via voice bite. His voice was included on the Tech Guide podcast, and yours could be too. You can you can use voice bite either through the voice bite app, hashtag Tech Guide, or go through the icon on the Tech Guide website, and uh, all you need to do is sign up for an account, and you can be be uh, have your question recorded and heard on the Tech Guide podcast. You're listening to the Tech Guide podcast. And that brings us to the end of our show for this week. You can read about everything that we've talked about at techguide.com.au and we've already explained if you want to get in touch, send us a voice bite or if you want to go old school, you can email us to info at techguide.com.au. We want to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs and also a special shout-out to Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Thank you for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then... Stay safe and stay connected.